Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and our beer is out of this world. And into Uranus. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. And I'm starting with this beer. This is from Evil Twin NYC. It is a double IPA, double dry hop double IPA, with cashmere and galaxy hops. Cashmere? Cold. Yeah. It's like a boring Led Zeppelin song. And it's called, They Say There Are a Billion Stars in the Night Sky, But I've Never Seen Them. It's really quite nice. You know, I get more, I, I don't really know what cashmere hops taste like. I think they're a newer thing. Kind of like a fuzzy, very soft. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like very, like very like silky feel to the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting fruity flavors out of this. Not quite the citrusy ones. Maybe peach. Maybe I'm imagining that. I don't know, but you know, stars because this book is takes place on Mars mostly. A couple parts are on Earth, which is near the stars. It's near a star. It's actually farther than we are from that star, but, but whatever. It's closer to other stars. That is true. Maybe it, true. True statement. Prove us wrong, assholes. Come at us, astronomy boys. So, uh, is anyone fucking remember what year this book is from? Nineteen forty. Oh, nineteen fifty. Nineteen fifty. Exactly. It's quite. It, 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 it's pretty dated. Yes. Uh, it's a. It's a. It's a fix-up or patch-up or something that they call it, right? It's a novel, but basically they took a whole bunch of, or they, Ray, Ray Bradbury, took a shit ton of short stories that were originally published independently and written really with no reference towards each other and reworked them a little bit and maybe wrote some transitional passages to create a longer work. And this is one of his most famous books. He said one of his inspirations was Winesburg, Ohio. Is that right? Yeah. Really? He said... uh Credited Sherwood Anderson's Winebirds, Ohio, and John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath as influences on the structure of the book. He has called it a half-cousin to a novel and a book of stories pretending to be a novel. That's Wikipedia, baby. Never fails. Well, you can see we've, we have done The Grapes of Wrath many, many years ago now at this point. Thousands of years ago. That was the one with the cheese puns oh, for yeah. those listening along. The home. only one? <laughs> <laughs> that may be when that game just started, though. Uh, we should also say... That when this episode comes out, it is going to be Ray Bradbury's 100th birthday. Too bad he died eight years before it <laughs> to celebrate it. But yeah, it's a centennial. As far as you know. Unless his consciousness was uploaded to some sort of you know floppy diskette, like in a short story he might have written. <laughs> <laughs> Put onto reel to reel somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, so Ray Bradbury, super important figure in American science fiction, just science fiction, I guess, in general. And... This is an interesting work. He wrote, I want to say, close to a dozen novels, but he really wrote short stories. That's what he produced a ton of, like hundreds of them. This was the In era fact, was just, of short story science fiction magazines where people just had a shitload of stories. magazines, yeah. So, yeah. Was it Amazing tales and shit like that. Easy access medium. Well, there was no other thing, no other outlet for kids, you know, for kids to read about this kind of stuff. And they're basically a step above comic books in terms of their, you know, heaviness of the story usually. They're just about action and stuff. But actually, I was just looking, there's a, I forget which university it is, I don't think it's like Ohio or somewhere, is is producing a, the collected Ray Bradbury short stories where they put all the short stories in, um, you know, in order of, of their release with, you know, notes and, essays written about them to kind of put them in context or whatever. It's a big book. They've started this, pro- they've started this project like a decade ago. They're only on volume three. 
of a projected eight volumes. Jesus. And the last two volumes were each one just covered one year. Like one volume wow. is 1943 to 1944. I feel like That's some of those essay or stories are not going to be worth writing about. They're probably, I mean, the, the reality is for a lot of these guys who, who, who worked in the sci-fi world at this time, it was a gig, you know, they were just producing shit. Paid by the word. Uh, so some, much of it is probably forgettable. But Ray Bradbury is such a big figure that there are nerds who would buy them. And even I was like, maybe I'll pick up one of those. But they're like $75 a book. I'm like, ah, I'll wait till I get 20 It's probably a yeah. very good like cross-section of the history of sci-fi done mm-hmm. just that, year yeah. by year. Well, you could see the stuff that was happening, the stuff that was selling, right? the stuff that was interesting. But uh, the, the stories that are in the Martian Chronicles came out presumably in the mid to late 40s originally. And then Bradbury just kind of slapped them together, wrote some other stuff, and said, like, here's a book. Put and a bit of a skeleton world. to join them all together. Yeah. So there's not really a plot per se. There's not like a... I mean, there's, there's no a little one. bit of a progression of stuff that happens. Like the very first short story is literally just Martians on Mars. And that's kind of the first one. And then somebody mentions in one of the earliest pages says, uh, oh, there can't possibly be anything alive on Earth. There's too much oxygen in the atmosphere. Right. And then uh, they're, they're just like random Mars people, you know, Martians, I guess that would term them. But they're like got weird, like pink skin or something like that. Anyway, so it's gold. It gold is strangely like regular, it's more like human beings in a small town, but just they just happen to be a different species. Yes. It falls kind of into the 40s and 50s sci-fi trope of everything being pretty much the same except like the doors are triangles and their skin is blue. It was like different, but like just they kind of just everything is like yeah, a direct that, corollary. That first story had a lot of that. Where it was like, let me go pick my fruit off the crystal wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah like swimming put... in the canals in the seasons when the wine trees filled them with green liquors, which I have many questions about. And where can I find some? You know, what is a, how do they get, what is wine liquor? I think it's grappa. It's disgusting. Don't ever. <laughs> <Randy>. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of there are many types of f- both fortified wines and also distilled wines that could be considered wine liquor. If they're anything like grappa, I'd rather drink shoe polish. <laughs> I think you do. You drink both. Is that actually. what ouzo is? Uh, yeah, ouzo is is made from grapes, I believe. Yeah. And and Greek guy sweat. <laughs> that explains all Gyro the hair I had in my teeth when I drank it. <laughs> you didn't say opa enough. That's how you get the, the hair out. You have to shatter the cup and a plate nearby whenever you have some. And get the government of Germany to pay for it. <laughs> but then you just that's walk out on the bill. <laughs> and that's the first story. There are a lot of them, and we're not going to go into every single one. But then in, like, the next short story, it's the first time that, like, humans have come in a rocket ship. And yeah. it's act technically the second expedition. And they're met in a really, like, strange way they like they land and they just sort of like get out of the rocket ship they don't you know and nobody seems to and they're like knock on some martian's front door and it's like hi can we speak to you and they're like i'm sorry i'm terribly busy and then no one kind of go see mr xxx yeah mr yyy mr nnn and then mr luckily no no somebody was mr xxx that's right played by vin diesel in the movie i'm sure oh that would be a very nice tie-in yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, and then they're like, kind of the Martians, they don't believe them. And they're like, "I'm please, go go see this person. And then they see a Martian 
psychologist who thinks that they're all hallucinations. And so he, and they're like, no, 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 we're real. We're really from earth. And they're like, no, not really. Totally not. And then he goes out and shoots them. Cause like, I need to put an end to the hallucination. And then he's like, but wait, the rocket ship is still here. And that was the end of the story. And then he kills himself. And then he kills himself. He's like, I've been infected by the hallucination. And that's well, the first end of the story. Kills, he kills the captain. And he's like, yeah. and the other three guys are still there. And like, what the fuck? And he's like, these are really good. And good. good hallucinations. <laughs> this is like really good telepathy happening. That it, it lasts past death. And he shoots all of them. He's like, amazing. I'll write an article he, about it. He touches it. the ship. And I wrote down this line because he can feel it. And he's like, wow, these hallucinations are so real. And he kissed the ship. I taste it. Labial fantasy. <laughs> I, I liked that line. I remember that. <laughs> I also highlighted the labial, taste the labial fantasy, which is like a, the working slogan for Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like the slogan for Skittles in countries where they just didn't translate it very well. You finish Skittles. Yeah. <laughs> labial <laughs> fantasy. Fun. <laughs> Only come in gray. <laughs> So these first few stories, I didn't like them. I, yeah, by the end were, of the book, they I, were, they're I, hokey. I liked it, but like, I, didn't, I didn't like them not because they were hokey. I didn't like them because they didn't explain fucking anything. Well, that is true. And just like, that's, they weren't what meant was to. the reasoning behind of, any of this? Like, why? That, that's a huge part of this style, of that, those 50s and 40s and 60s. Just accept I don't know why I put them in that order. 40s, 50s, and 60s sci-fi short stories, they're just kind of like, ooh, what a kooky tale. And you're supposed to go, like, oh my goodness, that's weird. Though, that's I all they're supposed to do. point out a theme in several, in many of them in the first half, and that they're actually based on history, as many, uh, as a lot of science fiction really is, because he talks about the humans coming to Mars and meeting the Martians as what happened when the Europeans came to the New World for the first time, because... Well, there's one very direct correlation. There is, yeah. Well, okay, there are many, <laughs> many very direct correlations, but this is like the third short story when... Another rocket, it's like the fifth expedition. They get there, and all the Martians are dead. And then they're like, why did they die? And someone goes, they died of chicken pox. He's like, what? Chicken pox? That's just like a random stupid d- disease nobody, uh, uh, people get. And um, that nobody's, nobody dies from that. And it's like, well, they did here on Mars. Anyway, that's very reminiscent of, you know, the, the almost or 90% of the population of North and South America all the Native Native Americans that lived there, or indigenous peoples that lived there, died of diseases that the Europeans brought. Mostly smallpox, right? Yeah, smallpox was a big one, but also like every disease at the same time is really what happened because it wasn't just smallpox. It was like everything. Yeah. And so they just died of everything altogether. And within a century of Europeans sending more expeditions, it was like this place is practically empty. There's, there's just nothing here. And it's because 90% of the people were dead. And in this book, people can get to Mars in six months. Yeah, in <laughs> six days. It's, like, it's it a very fast no time. They should be liquid. It's almost like the, the Martians would have said, E.T., stay home. <laughs> I think they would, yeah. And the, would they have said it three times in a row? <laughs> oh, you got E.T., stay home three? I did, yes. This is one of my favorite beers of all time. This is fucking really? amazing. So, though it is different, it doesn't taste like beer. So anyway, this is called huh? E.T. Stay Home 3. This is a 7% Imperial Berliner Weiss with sweet cherry, mango, and orange. 
They, I think Evil. Uh, I I just got a mm. delivery yesterday that included ET Stay Home Four. Ooh, I forgot what it that is. is. Very orangey, definitely. As I would say, is the dominant flavor. It is a popsicle. Like seriously, this tastes like popsicle, fruity popsicle to me. It is amazing. It's also very like acidic. Not quite like citrus, actually, but it is like something that is like the very super, super like acidic. But anyway, I think it's amazing, and I would drink this all day. It doesn't taste like beer, though. It's definitely not. If you think of like what beer tastes like, and then this, nothing like that, because it's really strong. Like the, the fruity flavor is really strong, but I really like it. It sounds like the kind of thing that you could pound a lot of, and that would give you a fucking horrendous hangover. Yeah. And it's, sugar in there and, and it's seven percent alcohol, so it's not exactly light. It sounds delightful. Anyway, it sounds like a liquid snow cone nice. for a summer day. It's also a dark red in color. Not that I'm drinking it out of a glass, but so you just had that beer. But speaking of all this Mars stuff, I'm going to drink this beer because I'm thirsty and it's hot out, and I need this. Uh, Mars is hot. Mars is not hot. Well, I guess not it hot. is. Hot. It's hot in this story, but it's very cold. I mean, according to, you know, scientists who lie all the time, this is from Equilibrium. This is MC squared because they got to Mars with science. Did you mention Einstein at one point? It's hard not to. This is a double India pale ale, 8%. That's very nice. It's very nice. You got that, you know, normal double IPA, vaguely fruity, refreshing summer drink, 8% though, so... Got to watch myself. But, yeah, it's pretty good. I like it. Got a slightly, maybe a slightly bitter aftertaste, but it's, it's nothing wrong with that. Speaking of this beer, how can people give us beer, Nathan? Well, if they go over to patreon.com slash Club, they can sign up to become a patron, which will help us buy beer. Okay. It's that simple. <laughs> yes, help us buy beer. That's real nice help of you. Help us in this un healthy habit that we have help us pee more blood because i've got too much to be honest we got to replace some of it with beer that's just science it's how the martians do it every month we have a patreon book of the month you help us pick a book for the podcast you get early access to all of our other episodes and starting in september you get access to our patreon read-along of don quixote and if you join our highest level tier we will send you a copy of the book and Coming soon, Drunk Guys Book Club beer glasses. So we we can't really I mean to go through every short story would be kind of dumb. Though so after this this other story where the guy the the last one they they find everybody dead. One of the they have twenty people in the crew. Each each rocket the crews get larger. Um, I guess they figure the other ones keep dying. Let's send more guys. That's fine. Uh, but this one, every scientist on it is two different kinds of scientists, so they could save space. And the one guy was a physician slash geologist, which makes him a rockter. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, NASA does kind of actually do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. people have to have more than one specialty. It costs, you know, a lot of money to send someone to space. So you can have one real fat guy or two regular sized scientists or one regular scientist who does two things. Just more efficient. <laughs> That was the story where they find the like the, the old town, right? They get to Mars and it looks like it's Ohio in 1928 or something like that. Yes, they, they like, find all these be? old towns. And um, it turns out it's all just an amazing sort of hallucination perpetrated by the Martians 
who then kill the astronauts in, in the night. Like they like lure them in. They pretend to be like their dead grandparents and shit. And that's then a, like, that's a later amazing. one. This one is the one where the one scientist decides he's going to kill all the other scientists because when humans find things, all they do is destroy them. And he feels bad. He's like, I've got to make sure we don't destroy all this shit. And he like learns to translate the Martian language in like two days or you know like two hours because he's a you know he's a genius. He's, he's twice. He's a double he's scientist. A double scientist. So he, so he d- does things twice as fast. Yeah, the one where they tur- the, the the Martians look like their dead relatives is later when there's like a few Martians living in the hills. And what what they explain later on, or what he retcons with his you know later versions of stories, is that the Martians are all telepathic. Yeah, that's it's it's evident from the first story. The first story, the the with the Martian yeah, couple, they, they really the wife think. is like, I had a dream that there's a a guy gonna land here, and he's uh he has white skin and he's six foot one inches tall. And the husband's like, that's ridiculously tall, honey. And, <laughs> yes, he's, and he has blue eyes. He's like, his penis is four inches. He's like what that big? <laughs> and so then he so just, he goes outside and he, shoots them. He kills them, and he's like he like lies to her. Like a 1950s husband. He's like, oh, honey, I just remembered I invited Dr. Goobledyglop to come over for dinner today. So you need to stay home and make dinner. And she's like, okay. And, that, and that's how he keeps her in the house. So he can kill he her. And shoots hot, the astronaut. Hot astronauts. A piece of hot ass astronaut. My wife going out there fucking some white minute bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but then they have the, the next story where they find like a town that looks like like Evansville, Illinois in 1920, and they're like, how is this possible? Like, because the Martians were subliminally getting the thoughts of the men as they approached, and they built a town like it. Didn't really get that. That part was fucking stupid. But it, I feel like it got better as it went on. It kind of, he kind of, things started to make a little bit more sense, at least. They had, they had more sense of like, I understood why things were happening the way they were happening. I, yeah, I thought a, that a lot of it's really kind of, old and corny a lot of but, but oh it, definitely it is it is quite dated I, I just thought like the first ones were they made less sense and they started to make more sense as it went on and by the end of it you're like i get it i understood the the point now or like they had a there's a sense of like a through line at least i thought the story where they pretended to be the town in ohio or whatever felt very much like a twilight zone episode yeah absolutely definitely the same and a lot line. of them had that a lot of them had that feeling that, you know, and I think that's common for short stories, the sci-fi short stories of the period, especially where they're like, "Ooh, something kooky and weird," and then it ends, and you're like, "Ooh, what was that really about?" Yeah, and that's Ray Bradbury's thing. If you read enough of his short stories, he actually did write at least one episode of The Twilight Zone too. So I there's fully am not though I that. in 1950. I don't think that because most TV shows didn't start till after 1950. So I no, don't think it I, I hadn't think even started yet. I think the Twilight Zone might have copied the short stories yeah. of the time. Whichever one came first doesn't really matter unless you're in like a history class, but they have a similar vibe, and just the Twilight Zone is more memorable. But yeah, Ray Bradbury wrote um, an episode of the Twilight Zone called I Sing the Body Electric. Isn't that like it's a... The only, it's a weather report album. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> if you want to listen to some fucking yeah. awful garbage. <laughs> it's just all... Jaco Pistorius harmonics just getting beaten to death by a bouncer. That's how he died. Yeah, he was a problem drinker. More so than us. That's why he he's like, I don't need frets, I'll just slur through everything. Now apparently the title Icing the Body Electric comes from a well-wooden poem about being gay in the eighteen hundreds. 
So this book kind of bounces back and forth between a very short snippet of life on Earth and then a longer story about what happens on Mars and then bounce back, 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 and back. And it all takes place uh, starting in 1999 and then like every six months or a year it jumps to another story. And we were like one of my like favorite. Most stories. of them yeah. happen between 1999 and 2000, but then at the very last few, jump to 2026. Yeah, the future. My my <laughs> one of my favorite ones was uh, 2000 and 2003, when they're some town in the south, and they're like, "Did you hear?" And I was like, "What?" It's like the N words. Like, what happened? It's like they're yeah, all leaving. It's <laughs> like, what do you mean? Thank God. <laughs> And they're like, no, they have just the opposite. Yeah, they're like, I know. They're like, what do you mean they can't leave? Yeah, they're ours. I, I like that it was. He wrote this in the forties. It was in two thousand three, and he's like, they're still going to want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And the one kid Accurate. was like, if we all leave, what are you going to do at night, Mister? It's like, oh, that's a a thinly hooded reference, I guess. Ooh. You, you yeah. don't have enough beds for all them sheets. <laughs> what are you going to need them for? <laughs> No, in the What's story, going to happen to the, the Burning Cross store? Who's going to keep them in business? <laughs> in the story, the one of the white women is like her. Her basically her housekeeper, her maid housekeeper, is going to leave. She's like, "I'll I'll double your salary, please, double, and I'll give you a $3. second and I'll give you a second night off every week. Please stay." And she's like, "No, ma'am, I'm leaving." Pretty and in one line in the story in that in that chapter is that the really racist guy who tells most of it is like, what do they want to leave for? They're getting some, some rights. Why, why they don't need to leave now. <laughs> That's what he says. Yep. So, you know, in later editions of the book, that short story was taken out of it. Yeah. And replaced really? with a different one. Yeah. Cause I remember talking when I, the first time I read this book, probably like eight years ago now or something, talking to a friend of ours, who's an English teacher. And he had just was like read it shortly afterwards based on my recommendation, I guess. And then we were talking about it and I mentioned this story. And he's like, that wasn't, I, what, what do you mean? I don't remember that. And I was like, how do you not remember that fucking story? That was like the most interesting one in many ways. And he's like, that was definitely not, he like, and that's not even in the book. He like looked through it. So in the 2006 edition of the book or 2000, something more recent, it's not like they censored it in 1955. They censored it in the 2000s. They took that story out and put a different story in in certain publications, certain uh, editions of the book. This is like when we read the two different versions of Ender's Game, and we're like... I had the white power version. little racial <laughs> illusions. You're like, no, there weren't. They were very explicit. And I was like, oh, yeah. what are you like, talking dog. about? I was like, dude. And I was like, oh, they just Ender's a racist. said, hey, Scott, or Orson, whatever the fuck his name is, can't drop the N-bombs at any time in a kid's book. And he's like, but that's how I feel about them. I was like, well, <laughs> can't say it. It's like, ah. What if they're space N-words? <laughs> zero Gs. No one said zero Ns. He thought they meant OGs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, that was, anyway, this Ray Brad, this story that was in the original Martian Chronicles was quite uh that's very Provocative. forward social commentary for the time. For 1946. This yeah. is way before like any whiff of civil rights movement yeah. that would have reached you know white America who's reading this book. Yeah. Even 1950, that's before like the fucking Montgomery bus boycott. Yeah, it was that's 1954. Quite a time before anything. That's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. 
you know, to have that in there. So that's why it's so great that they took it out of the later editions <laughs> of the book. It's like, it's too soon. It's ahead of its time. Well, if I had to guess, it was because they wanted to sell more editions to schools, and schools would be like, well, it's got the N-word in it twice in the first paragraph, so maybe we should, like, maybe we'll take that one out, even though it's definitely, it's really the best one. It yeah, was the best it's one. It's definitely I think, the most important one. I think my, my second favorite one was probably the one about the House of Usher. That was very strange. Uh, okay, yeah. okay, Jimmy, tell us about that well, one. Well, that one was... Usher 2. Usher 2, like yeah. Usher 2. Like, Electric you make Lulu. me want to build a house on Mars. <laughs> you continue to make me want to. You, uh, you'll always be my boo. <laughs> so this... In this, which I under... Which I'm not sure, because I don't remember Fahrenheit 451, but is it possible that this book takes place in the same literary universe as... 451. I, what I was going to say is this short story contains the same like premise yeah. as he turned into the entire book, Fahrenheit 451. Because he mentions the great fire of 1975 when they burned the fire books. Cruise. And it was like, yeah. basically they live in a world on Earth. I and mean, everybody's leaving Earth because Earth sucks and there's going to be annihilated by nuclear war anytime because everyone there uh, is a psycho or Earthling. Which was also very forward thinking. For 1950. But yeah. I mean, it was kind of the Cold War. Getting to it, at least. So, uh, in, so the, the Russians... So, for, when the Americans invented the, uh, the first atomic bomb in 1945, and they used it, and Americans were like, we're on top of the world now. Yeah. And then in 1949, Russia set off their first nuclear device, and then they were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Now it's going to be a big nuclear war. But that was Fighters. in 1949. That was one year before this book came out. It's, uh, he, was, he was a very forward-thinking man. He, he, called, he called a decent number of shots. Though I, there was anyway, a funny thing where tell, it's like... Tell us more about this short story, though. So this guy moves to Mars, and he's like, I'm going to build a house, and it's just going to be full, full of Edgar Allan Poe shit. He's like a huge Poe fanboy. You know girls are into that. No. Well, he's definitely he's a virgin. Gash. Uh, <laughs> and he just builds this whole house, which is the House of Usher. And he has like a room for the cask of Amantilla dildo, dildo, whatever it's called. Amantillado. Yeah, sure. Armadillo. <laughs> the cask of armadillos. <laughs> and another room and I'll be with banging a that puss evermore. <laughs> and he lives Mask on Mask of the Red Duke. <laughs> I don't even I mean, honestly, he mentioned, he mentioned, more, he mentioned more Edgar Allan Poe stories than I remember the plot of, but he builds his house and all the the people from, what was it called, the uh, the investigator of moral climates comes to investigate his house because they have this agency on earth with the moral climates where they burned all books that had anything to do with like fictional stuff or like unbelievable things like fantasy or anything that wasn't like hyper realistic they burned so people wouldn't have good ideas or you know be naughty or think about communists probably yeah it's it's pretty much for you know if you like like a poem about a talking bird you're probably a sponsor you really into state sponsored socialism but you know that's a given yeah but so the investigator comes and he just kills the investigator and Builds a robot, looks like him, and sends the robot back. And then it's the future. You could just yeah, he just builds a lot, of, builds a lot of robots. People just shitting out robots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, you know, he called a few shots, not all of them. <laughs> he 
you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Listen, he got he figured out ATMs. He knew that would be a thing. Asked to mouth. Who knew he'd be wrong about slapping <laughs> together a robot in forty five minutes? What did you say? What Asked to mouth. Oh yeah, he was all. He's like, that's going to be. It's going to be the the money porn. <laughs> uh, there is a version. Buy stock in Pornhub. <laughs> There's a version of nineteen of this book in, put out in 1997 where they changed all the years that this takes place. Yes. So that'd be like, oh, we were off. Let's just bump everything forward 30 years. So it all takes place in 2030 instead of 2003. Still not likely, but, you know, a little bit of space. I don't know about the ass to mouths. I mean, uh, apparently, the, apparently the young kids love eating ass these days. That's a thing. So it's only a matter of time. That's literally Dude, ass when, to mouth. When... <laughs> That's it's like human centipede ass to mouth. But when the uh, that's eating out when the coronavirus ass. thing came out, like I think it was the was the New York City government and New York State government put out like, oh, this yeah. information packet do about jobs. how you get it. And one of the things like rim jobs, like you can get it from rim jobs. It's like oh no, Something now on your it's shirt. real. It looks like doo doo. <laughs> We're all doomed. Fucking <laughs> it's a Chappelle show thing or the doo doo. <laughs> you see that Nate? I have not. That's no. Tupac's yeah, a, hologram at a concert or something, or no? They're just listening to a new unreleased oh, right. Tupac song because you know, like Tupac just puts out a new song every so often, and they're like, "Here's a song that was recorded in 1995 that we never heard, even though it's 15 years ago." You know, whatever. And and he's extremely prescient <laughs> in the song. He's like, <laughs> "With your BlackBerry page, <laughs> like, there's a girl in the front Pac- of the room. It's got a stain on the shirt. Kind of looks like doo doo." Got the doo doo. Just kidding. It's, it's 1995. Cr- <laughs> it's really weird. But that is uh, I don't know exactly <laughs> exactly how that went down in this because you know he didn't call everything. But so in the Usher story, long story short, he throws a party and kills a bunch of people and replaces them with robots uh, because he hates all of them and they're all uh, people who don't like books. And he's like, he, he like the investigator comes because the investigator he killed originally was also a robot, the old double robot trick. And, but then the real guy comes is like, oh, my robot said everything was up. fine, but I trust I can only do it myself. Like you couldn't tell that it was a different robot. You're not a very good investigator. And then as he uh, kills everyone else, he walls the investigator up alive behind a wall and just says, "Ha ha, this is a reference you'll never get." And it's like, please say the line from the book. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just, just say this. Like, I'll say it. Okay, whatever. And he's like, cool. And then he bricks him up and he leaves and the house explodes or falls into a pit because it's the house of Usher. And he's like, that was a good day. But if it was the house of Usher, when the house collapsed, he would have died because that's really he what the point the, of that story He was, was the narrator. Oh, I guess. But I thought, that was a, I thought that was a cool story. I thought it was very, also very Twilight Zoney. Well, his whole point was like, if you had just read the books that you had been so busy burning, you would have figured out what I was doing. He's like a James Bond villain. Like, the clues yeah. were there all along. As he was walling up, he'd be like, oh, I got that reference. This seems familiar. I, I don't really want to drink that wine. <laughs> That's um, excellent intertextuality here. I do have one more beer. This, oh, is, this is called Starship from Finback. See if you can figure out the connection. It's like they made two of them, Nate. Oh, I what? also have one. You do? I do. Oh. Wait, you pu- I put it on there. You put it on there? Twins. <laughs> Jinx. Wait, wait, hold on. You fucking stole it, you fucking bastard. Mine okay, was wait. fucking there first. Jinx, you owe me a beer. <laughs> wait, it is there first. Oh, god damn it. Yeah, you illiterate son of a bitch. You'd think you were in yeah, a book whatever. club. <laughs> I actually didn't know. You know what? You moved it. I swear to God. Let's just both drink it. We can yeah, both, there drop we go. It. both drink it. It's called Everybody Starship. Wins except Jimmy. 
<laughs> How we like it. This is a raspberry grapefruit sour ale. The most shameless thing about this book, it, it, beer for me, is on the bottom. Do you see what it says on the bottom of your can? It's like, it's the lyric from that Nicki Minaj song called Starships. <laughs> it just says, well, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it says, R, R, A, R, E. R meant to fly hands up. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the that's the that's the stupid song. Starships are meant to fly. Hands okay. up and touch the sky. It's a piece. It's a terrible Higher song. Higher than a motherfucker. Yeah, that song was very popular was around the time I got married. So it's actually in my wedding video. You could there's a scene of us drunkenly. All of us presumably are in there because you guys were out there dancing to this dumb song. I was not that drunk. You had ten. But yes, you were, dude. <laughs> we were like egging you on. I was like. I was sober enough that I fooled my mom. So you were not as drunk. You were a different. I was not man. as drunk as I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> you were not as drunk as you were at Pastry Town. Well, that's not possible. I was legally dead at Pastry Town. <laughs> <laughs> we had to have a, a voodoo ritual to to get you out of there <laughs> to resurrect you. <laughs> Arise, chicken. Arise. You said funny word. Okay, so this is uh yeah a sour raspberry and grapefruit, which sounds really goddamn sour. It's not that sour. I mean, grapefruits and raspberries are pretty tart and then sour. Yeah. It's not. It's actually pretty nice. Uh, I don't know. Did we ever have this before? I meant to check on the list if this is when we had in person at some other I point. I don't think so. I don't remember so. it, but I don't remember almost any of them. A new one. Though they've had similar kinds of beers, sours or fruits, and it's quite good. What do you think, Nate? I like it, yeah. I mean, I do like my other fruity one better, but it's still good. Well, this one's not as sweet as that, what you described. Yeah, this one, other one is just crazy. This is more of a traditional sour beer with fruit. This is the beer I drink when I need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we can go through all the stories, but more importantly, this is a 70-year-old book by a famous, famous dude, Ray Bradbury. We had mixed feelings on um, the fucking carnival one, how something wicked this way comes. Yeah. I think we could all agree that Fahrenheit 451 is, con- is continues to be worth reading. Yeah. How about this? Where does, where does this fall? I think in terms of 1940s and 50s sci-fi, this is hands down the best. Because it, it occasionally has like dated, weird, hokey little bullshit. But it's still overall a good story. And there is stuff in it for everyone. If you're into sci-fi, it's definitely a thing that I think any sci-fi version should read because it's... Probably it's probably the best from this era of you know the beginnings of sci-fi because most of that stuff mm-hmm. is fucking yeah. unreadable. It's all just super corny. Certainly. And then Balor Flap shot his laser beam at me. Yeah, on planet Xenon. This really, this, is really, this really is you know the the idea behind sci-fi, which we talk about every time. And you no, know, it's just like it's you know, it's a story about you know just human the human condition or whatnot by means of you know magic but not magic but science but it's not like just laser fights and bullshit it's like it's about imperialism and censorship and human freedom it's a little yeah. hokey but that's because that's the way it is but it doesn't mean it was bad because that's, that's the time yeah it was the way it from is from when it was written yeah well just like you would say you know shit written in the 1800s is flowery and overly wordy yeah but the message might still be worth reading, or the story might be worth reading. But this is this is um, much easier to read. 
Well, yeah, this is definitely designed to be easily digested. But I feel like, you know, not every short story or science fiction work from this time had any sort of, you know, message. It was just kind of like, here's a a crazy tale. Yeah, especially the ones that are just from those Pulp Fiction magazines, which was just, you know, they weren't looking for, like, high art there. No, but he managed to do... I mean, that's what makes him memorable. Perhaps Bradbury kind of does both, right? There, there's some, there's stuff in here that's about history, stuff about, you know, like when he talks about the, the chicken box thing, or he talks about, oh, like one, and he also says in that same short story, which I forget what it's called now, but at a certain point, this will be Earth, right? We will all be gone too, and our whole civilization that we think is so great will get wiped away as well. You know, he, he has these heavier thoughts embedded in the cool, like, ooh, rocket ships, you know, kind of storyline. I mean, there's probably... Dozens of authors from back then that we don't know at all because they didn't write anything memorable, and there's probably a reason he's the really one of maybe the only biggest one, and maybe there's like two or three from back then that people still acknowledge. I mean, Asimov got started a bit later. Yeah, um, Heinlein is from the same time. Uh, there's a guy from Robert Silverberg who's very popular. If you're, if you're actually into sci-fi, he's a big name. He's still alive. He's a little younger. Asimov, though, is probably the next biggest one. But Asimov is... We should do some of his stuff. He's really fascinating. And he also mm-hmm. just wrote about everything. Yeah. Do you know... I think yeah, Asimov very... has, like, a book published in every major category of the Dewey Decimal System or something like that. Yeah. There you go. It's, like, besides two or something like that. But it's hundreds of things. King so of the nerds. It's really amazing. And he died of AIDS. He did? Yeah, he got AIDS through a blood transfusion. Oh, fuck. Ooh. Womp womp. Science. But he, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are the big, he, Ray Bradbury's the bigger one, but, but Bradbury is just not as science fiction-y as the rest of those guys. There's just not much science. It's more just like cool stories and it weird is true. stories. It's not as much science. It's more, it's more stories, like regular stories with science fiction in them. The yeah. point is not, look how many robots and lasers I can put in. It's, this is a story that happens to take place on Mars. Or like Asimov, who was an actual scientist and threw in some really crazy actual science into there. And people realize, man, real science is just fucking boring. Give me more lasers. Enough about the goddamn moles, dude. <laughs> <laughs> when do we make acid that Fucking hate shit? gophers. <laughs> Speaking of gophers, it has nothing to do with that, oh. but I want to drink this other beer. I was pretty... Pretty proud of this connection because it's the dumbest named beer I've ever seen that I could relate to a book. It was. Is it not saying deep, something? Is, we is had a over deep cut. That I, was like, well, I can actually work with that for some reason. Uh, there was that one story that took place on Earth where the guy's like, "I'm getting on this rocket to Mars because Earth is fucked and I got to get out of here and I'm a taxpayer. I am owed a trip to Mars. This is uh, what I'm going to do." So this here is from. Uh, a new brewery that we have not experienced, as far as I know, called Public Access Liquids in North Haven, Connecticut. And this that is... sounds like a really gross porno. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is called Public Access Constellate, because this is... Mars is kind of like a public access planet in what is near constellations. That's got a smell to it. What the fuck is this? Pale lager brewed with yuzu. Huzu? Yuzu. <laughs> this tastes like a Sprite. Hmm. As in a small spirit? <laughs> no, as in like a small 16-bit character. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> that moves in front of the background like a Sonic the Hedgehog. Good reference. <laughs> it's interesting. It tastes kind of like a kind of like a like a off-brand lemon soda. So it's Fresco. <laughs> it's not Shasta. quite as strong as Fresco. It's probably like a it's a Walmart like brand. one of those like European lemon sodas or some shit like that. Fanta, but no, not, not a Nazi one. one. Maybe maybe kind of like a lemon Fanta. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's very good for a very hot day. Public access liquids is a weird name, though. I I will say that. Yeah, yeah, that's really very it's strange. Like, it's like, I think that's how you translate bukkake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pubic <laughs> access liquids. Ew. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> so in the long run, Earth blows up, and everyone's on Mars. That's left. It's not that many people, including one fun short story where the guy is like, I'm all alone. And he dials the phone randomly and a lady picks up. and He's like, let's go meet up. And she's fat. Oh, yeah. So no, he's this, like, this says, oh, I'll get to change my mind. And he leaves. He'd rather live alone for decades than hang with a fat lady. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change. Apparently. And then another story later where like they're trying to get everybody together. And we found one guy living over there. And it's the dude from the other story. Like, and it was like, we're going to get on a rock and go together. He's like, nah, I'm He good. was just sitting in the middle um, of the street. Right. They like literally a different person who was in the earlier thing captain williams captain something like that it was, was a story from, from Jupiter. the guy from uh from the expedition that got there that got wiped out by the guy who wanted to be to protect the martian civilization like half of them left and went to jupiter so he's literally flying back from jupiter and they're like flying around mars like they're just gonna we're just gonna swing by and pick people up and he goes yeah they're like, the only people alive are you guys and this one random guy sitting in a lawn chair in the middle of the street. And it was that guy. Like, from uh, the, is that fat lady going to be Who'd there? would rather be alone. Know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think when Bradbury patched together the stories, he, he kind of wove them together a little bit more than just writing the interstitial scenes. I think he, I think he added little bits to those. Some post-edits that tied them mm-hmm. with a, a finer string. Just a little bit. There was one famous one that I remember the story, but I didn't know it was part of this. Was the automated house? There oh yeah, which was, that was the this was the second to last story. I think. Like, yep. I don't remember. Was it on Earth or on Mars? I think it was on Mars because just everyone is gone because they went back to Earth because there was a nuclear. There's a war on Earth and everyone had to go back to Earth to fight in the California. war. I guess. Yeah. It's in, it's in America. That house. Oh okay. Oh really? Yeah. You sure it wasn't just that. Mars looked exactly like America. I think they say California. Oh, yeah. I think it, this one was on Earth. This is one of the Earth scenes. So, yeah, there was this sort of automated house that, like, did everything. It was like the Jetsons, you know. In the morning, like, the alarm went off and said, yeah, everybody, time to wake up. And then it made breakfast for everyone, like, toast and eggs and bacon and coffee. But then it all got cold because nobody was there to eat it. And then they automatically threw it away and cleaned it up and stuff like that. And in the end, everything just burned down. I mean, that was the second last story. But what was the last? The story? last story was um, what, it was the family. Oh, well, there was there was the one with the family where they meet the guy, and then the guy dies, but he has built robots of his whole family, and they just go through eternity, just performing everything as though he was still there, and that was depressing. And then the final story was this family saying. We're all that's left, you know. We gotta live here now, and there's a family nearby, and they've got a bunch of girls. And in about three years, this will get real awkward because y'all are gonna fuck each other. And uh, he's like, "I want you kids to come see a Martian." It's like we thought they're all dead, and it's like, "No, there's still some." And let's go look at them. And they go over and they find a lake 
And they look in the lake at their reflections and say, there they are, kids. These are the Martians. Fucking goddamn dad jokes. <laughs> like, and he just says, <laughs> waka waka, and walks away. And he's like, hey, yeah. quick one, kids. What's brown and sticky? And they're like, what, dad? He goes, a stick. This is why mom left. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, here, here's a, here's a half-baked take that Bradbury is always about these like hokey small towns, and that's why he has the dad joke end it all. Like it's just all, it's all about the old this time a, living. This is all a setup for one dad joke. Two hundred pages of setup for a dad you joke. Got me. It's a real knee slapper there, Hank. Oh boy, God dang it! I'll tell all the tell all the guys down at the lodge. So that's it. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of other stories in there that we skipped over, but doesn't matter because yeah. read them yourself. It's a short story. Not not all of them are good. No. And it no. does start very strangely. I, th- if I, I was, well. when it started off, I was like, if I have to read a whole book of this, I'm going to be very upset. But by the time it gets around to like the fifth story, I'm like, okay, I can deal with this. And by the time it got to the end, I was like, I actually enjoyed that a lot. Mm-hmm. It was actually really yeah. good. I did too. No, I enjoyed it. Uh, this was the second time reading it for me. And I didn't, you know, it's long enough in between that I didn't remember the stories too well. But I was like, I, I, I like this feeling. You know, I like this. There's something... There's a mood I don't know, to it. Nostalgia is the right word. You know, like there's like a, it's like, oh, it's an old, old time, good, good, good. You know, I don't, I don't know. It just feels what like, it's like called like a retro, a retro futurism. Well, yeah, I mean, this is just, this is just retro now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just like the feeling of it, it, it reminds me of like this childhood sense of wonder that I get from anything Ray Bradbury writes. It was like, this is, this is like, this is like the imagination, the imaginings of a, of a kid. You know, like it's just, it's innocent and it's uh, fun, as opposed to but with some heavy messaging in there. Sure, but there, still, there is here and there. relatively, it's not. It's, it, even though there's some dark shit in there, it's never dark feeling. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I like it. I mean, I've not read. I mean, the guy wrote like 600 short stories and like I don't know how many, a dozen or plus novels. Motherfucker kept busy. Well, you had to pay the bills, and when you're only getting paid like. All right, we'll give you 50 bucks for that story, and you have bills and shit. Hey, the guy, I all remember out. is uh, Death of a Salesman. The only thing I remember that fucking book or play is him saying, all I need is $50 a week. I was like, <laughs> oh, I guess you could get by on not as much back then, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that was, what, the 50s? The 40s, 40s? Right? So if uh, they gave him 50 bucks for a story, would be like, good, I can write another one tomorrow. Yeah. It's true. It does. A lot of them did seem kind of like the thing you could write in a day. I mean, maybe it depends on how much you write as an author, and obviously I'm not one, so what do I know about it? But, you know, it's kind of like, oh, the, it's almost like the thing he did was he just writes short stories, and he comes up with a concept, and he just writes a new one every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the more you do it, you know, I mean, not everyone, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's like practice. It takes a skill. I mean, not all of them are going to be winners, but it takes experience yeah. to write. And he had a fuckload of experience. Probably, probably more so than most people. He's probably one of the most well, prolific think, yeah. authors out there. Certainly, like, well-known authors. Yes, for sure. authors worth reading. He, he said some sort of comment uh, that I won't butcher, but he learned how to write from sitting in the library where he'd rent a typewriter for, like, you know, a nickel an hour or something like that because it was 1930. And he would just type shit and write stories and then look at them like, all right, this is good, this is not good. And just like he just 
probably was one of those people who had a very disciplined work ethic. It's like I could just I'm just gonna sit and write for a few hours. Well, a lot of people, even you know, composers and artists, uh, you know, graphic arts, whatever, they do the same thing. It's it's, it, it. We like to think we have this like romantic ideal that authors and artists and whatever are inspired. But it's their job, you know? It's how they pay their bills. Yeah, certainly for so, Pulp Fiction magazine writers, where it's like, you got to churn but even out content. For, even for modern people, like Philip Glass, the composer, who's a really famous and really successful, and I'm sure very wealthy, he he has like he's a schedule. Like he only composes a couple... Yeah, he, I think he, he is. Has, he's very old now. But. He's close to death. <laughs> and I don't care, because his music's terrible. But He could shatter at any moment. <laughs> That one boring song he's been writing for 70 years might end soon. But he sits, he has like a schedule in his day. Like, I only compose during these hours. And like, I sit at my keyboard or whatever you use, piano, whatever he does, and I write for these few hours, and that's the it. The rest of the day, I do other shit. It's like, it's his job. And it was the same for Mozart and Beethoven, too, as much as people want to believe that they were divinely inspired. And why wouldn't it be the same for authors? You know, I got to sit down and just write some shit out. You got it done. Got to respect that. Michael Crichton did the same thing when he was, he had like an office away from his house where he could read Wikipedia. And he would. <laughs> and where there were no write. women. Was, everything was big enough to fit his giant fucking frame into it. <laughs> and he would write for like, you know, I don't know, four or five hours a day. And that was the end of it. I mean, not that he produced any high art, but even Hemingway did the same thing. He'd get up in the morning and then like, Shoot an animal, and then he'd write. <laughs> there was a there was a have Hemingway, a cocktail. There was a Hemingway thing in this book that I enjoyed, when the, in the in the Usher short story where they they don't allow fantasy or anything unrealistic. He's, he's talking about like they uh, have movies. They still have movies, but it's kind of like in that Ricky Gervais movie, The Invention of Lying, where they can't make stuff up, so they're all documentaries, <laughs> just, just narratives. This yeah. one was like. If they had made anything at all, they would have to make and remake Ernest Hemingway. My God, how many times have I seen For Whom the Bell Tolls done? 30 different versions, all realistic. Oh, realism. Oh, here. Oh, now. Oh, hell. It's like, yeah. If I had to watch Ernest Hemingway movies every day, I'd fucking kill myself. Well, we're due for a Hemingway book. We could do. We could do. I've never read I have read the them outside of this, and I hate them. You read For Whom the Bell Tolls? Not one about the Spanish Civil War? Uh, yes. Yeah. From the bell tolls and no, that's farewell to arms. Now, farewell to arms is World War One. Oh. Ah, same thing. They're the same fucking thing. Are they? <laughs> they're no, the same. Not, they're technically, the same in the no. That but I hated. <laughs> so you, you kind of lump the Spanish Civil War into World War Two almost, and almost World yeah, War One to an extent. It's part. It's, it's part of a sandwich. Thirty-six or something like that. War sandwich. A war sandwich. That's the name of my metal band, dude. Don't don't try to take that. <laughs> But yeah, if we do a Hemingway book, I mean, we, I guess we haven't. We, we've done, we have to have one. We've done The Old Man, Ila Mare. Oh, that one's fine because and, it's short. <laughs> and snows and of, the Snows of Kilimanjaro. Oh, yeah. Which was, was just, just hot ass, or cold ass, I guess. But it was Terrible. very, very much Hemingway. If you wouldn't read that, but like 200 times as long, that's the other books. All right, well, what about, what about Bradbury? You know, that's what we're really talking about. We read this, we read Something Wicked, we've read Fahrenheit. That's kind of the famous shit. Those are the hits. There's a handful of... The Illustrated Man is the only other famous thing. But apparently it's another collection of short stories, though. Yeah, it's the same thing where they're patched together. And basically, the Illustrated Man is a guy who's like a carnival character who's covered in tattoos. Mm. And each story is about... Relates to one of the tattoos. And there's a little bit more of a frame than just that. But I don't want to spoil the ending. That one's pretty good. 
And then there's a couple other famous short stories that people might know, like All All Summer in a Day is a famous short story. That's the one where like the kids are on Venus and it's like the only day of the year where the sun comes out and they're all mean and they put one girl in the closet so she can't see oh, it. Oh, I do remember that one, yeah. Well, if we find something of his to do again, we can certainly do it. But we have done the hits. His big works. But we could do some, maybe we'll do some illustra- illustrated men, illustrated men on the on the Patreon uh, special episodes. So if you we'll haven't paid us, out. you'll never get them. So who should read this book then? Well, obviously people who are into science fiction, this would be a definitely an interesting read. But it's also, I mean, it's different. It is kind of a different format of book than we've ever really done on the podcast. But I don't know. I thought it was fine. I, I would recommend it to people. Yeah. So I noticed on, on, on the Reddits, at some point you mentioned to somebody that you read this, and they were like, does it seem hokey and dated? And I didn't respond to them because I didn't want to jump in your conversation. But it is kind of hokey and dated. Do you think that hurts reading the book today? I think it's less hokey and dated than a lot of sci-fi from this period. I read it more as an interesting exercise in like, what did people believe in 1950? What did people think the Mars would either Mars would be like because this is this is pre Sputnik you know this is pre space race this is you know people knew nothing about Mars whatsoever yeah they all have, so it has a breathable people, atmosphere for us what do they think about it and bring up the thin. like atomic war that they're worried about was also you know interesting and then all of the black people in America wanting to leave the planet you know I thought that was pretty good too. Like, whoa, racist Nate. Whoa, you think that's a good idea? <laughs> Dude, what the fuck, man? <laughs> whoa. whoa. Holy context. shit, dude. What I meant was, <laughs> it's a good concept for a short story. Oh, wait, that still doesn't sound good. What I meant was, that is an interesting observation on on oppression in America in the late 1940s. Well, if you want to hear Nate's thoughts, check out Stormfront, <laughs> where you can read more of them. <laughs> no, I agree that that was actually, in, in, like, not only just an interesting story, but like interesting. Like, well, this is what some people thought like this before, you know, the civil rights movement. <laughs> it's interesting to see, like, oh, there was this is one snippet of the public opinion. So one it's like a, a sort of like an anthropological. Oh, sure, certainly, of course, but there were some. But it's like yeah. a uh, anthropological experiment, just like what was. What was happening in American you know, suburban consciousness? And he wrote this in 1950. He was not a famous dude yet. You know, his bigger, more famous things hadn't come out yet. And he was able to keep going. So clearly enough people were like, yeah, that's scary. Whatever, dude. And he, not wrong, you know, it, it, he believed, not wrongly so far, that we would solve interplanetary flight before we would solve racism. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> A very different type you of nailed that one. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, I think if you're into this, if you're into sci-fi at all, absolutely read it because you can churn it out in a fucking day. Uh, it's a fast. And read. even if you're not, it's an easy read, and it's worth it's worth it. I think much more though. So especially if you don't like sci-fi and you have no interest in it, it's a very attainable sci-fi. Despite the science, you know, fiction, space travel part. That's that's really not yeah, the major it's, it's part of the book. It's more tangential. It's just a it's a means to an end for a story. I think that's true for most of Bradbury. I mean, that might be what makes him so successful or so popular even now. You know, like, 
It has, it has sure, lasting parts of it are dated. Stuff. Yeah, but it has it has the staying power. That's it's it's a, it's more important than just like ooh, and there will be like flirty floops in the future. <laughs> it's a little more interesting. I do like flirty. These are powered flirty floops. Trademark. <laughs> so tell right. us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you listen this long and you haven't already given us a review, why not head over to uh, whatever thing you're reviewing and give us a review? I don't have a joke for this one. One star for every short story in this book. So like 3,800 short stars. It's <laughs> a lot of them. And if you don't have enough stars to give us, you can turn some of those stars into money. American money only, please. All other money is fake and a concept we do not abide by here. You can give all their money on Patreon, actually. No, I won't accept it. Just kidding. <laughs> well, okay. Mike I'll and I will it. accept it for you. We will take it. We will take it. And also, check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. 